Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey, oh, Dr. Santosh here, your amazing pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. And Santosh, it's that special time mm-hmm. of year again. The time when we've run out of other holidays and it's cold and it's gloomy and we need something, <laughs> anything, damn it. A, a little breather, a little breather in the midst of it. We need a reason to go on, to look forward to tomorrow, to get through the day. Of course, I'm okay. referring to the beginning Girl Scout Woo! cookie season. Oh, get you some Samoas. Is this a little in that you're giving me for me to shamelessly promote like my daughter's cookie selling campaign i just want to know if there's a discount for buying in bulk (laughs) i think we could work something out yeah (laughs) (laughs) um oh and for those of you who are in romantic relationships it's also valentine's day yeah oh oh by the way (laughs) yeah let's uh let's do something mushy well I wouldn't quite go that far. <laughs> I tell you what, I'll give you a, a little bit of holiday mixed with alternate week. And you know what oh. happens on alternate oh, week, man. Santosh? Oh, let's get Kermit arms going, but like kind of like a gentle waving like you do at a boys to men's concert. Everybody get your stiff puppet arms out. Raise them up over your Yay. head. It's time for everybody's <laughs> favorite segment, Journal Club. Yay! <laughs> valentine that's not that (laughs) that's not for every journal club that's just for this one yeah valentine edition (laughs) so this week so this week we are going to be looking over a couple stories that at least by some stretch of the imagination tie into the theme of love or at least lust. <laughs> there's there's a few of these, but I I'm pretty sure this one is one of our like loviest love editions that we've had in a while. 
So let's begin with a case presentation, Santosh. Picture okay. this. You're an emergency mm. room doctor in Brazil, and it's just a common night like any other. A gentleman walks in a little shy. Uh, you start having a conversation, and you learn quickly that his problem, his reason for admission, is yeah. an erection that has lasted longer than four hours. Uh, What's at the top okay. of your differential diagnosis? Okay, so I'm almost certain. This is a younger person, I'm guessing, right? Like 20s, 30s, something like that? Immaterial. Immaterial, okay. <laughs> well, then I, I would say either recreationally or, uh, you know, uh, because they need it um, uh, for reasons of erectile dysfunction, they have taken uh, a, uh, uh, you know, PDE5 inhibitor. So sildenafil, the little blue pill, Viagra, uh, is the most commonly well known. But I'm, I'm fairly sure that's what's going on here, that, you know, just maybe took too much of a dose or had an unfortunate side effect. And we need to make sure that the erection doesn't last for too, too long, because then you'll get ischemia of the penis. And we're going to treat for that kind of a thing. So, right? your, so your guess is Viagra. You are completely wrong in every conceivable way. <laughs> oh, in no. Fact, in fact, what okay. you should have said is yes. spider bite. Okay. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> we're we're in Brazil, so there's some scary spiders. Generally speaking, uh, spiders will produce like a neurotoxin, right? That will it, it'll cause like paralysis or something like that because the spiders use that to, you know, envenomate their prey and they drag them into the burrow to slowly kill them and, and eat them. Um, or and apparently some and apparently yeah. what a way to go. <laughs> because because okay. the brazilian wandering spider is yeah not on any list of the top five venomous spiders in the world but emergency wards okay. are used to seeing patients bitten due to the telltale erection it's one of the first questions the doctor asks a patient have you been exposed to any spiders lately because one of the toxins oh. from this spider pntx2-6 recently renamed Eratina because yep. this, <laughs> <Okay>. this four-inch <laughs> spider potent venom Jeez. Oh, gives God. it gives a nasty and occasionally fatal nip that increases the blood pressure and causes hours-long erections. So it causes nitric oxide to be released in the brain, which leads okay. to a chemical cascade producing another compound or enzyme called cyclene guanosine monophosphate or CGMP yes which then causes the muscles in the penis to relax allowing more blood to rush into it and cause an erection a few hours later however another compound <laughs> called PDE5 your viagra okay. active ingredient breaks down right. this CGMP and returns the penis to its previous state so the spider's yeah. bite works from the opposite uh -huh. pathway or the opposite end of the pathway is Viagra. 
Yeah, so nitric oxide when released locally, right? So it's it's actually re- released throughout you know the entire body. It's a vasodilator instead. You know, it's it's one of the things that uh, you know allows the blood vessels to kind of open up and this kind of thing. And so the you know nitric oxide, uh, you know you you like it, you want it around. Um, and in in this particular case, though. I guess aside from relaxing smooth muscle and, you know, other areas of the body and other arteries and that kind of a thing, uh, part of it's going to be your, your penis. <laughs> and so if you have constant nitric oxide release, you overwhelm PDE5. And, you know, it's you just have much more nitric oxide than what you can contend with. And, you know, you get a, you know, happy time, I guess. <laughs> um but yeah, so rather than inhibiting the PDE5, you're overexpressing the nitric oxide. Um, oh, can you treat it? Can you do something for this nice person? Or are, are they just very happy and they wanted to come here and brag? <laughs> so the, the main thrust of this story is oh, that come on. <laughs> is that it may allow scientists to find alternative drugs to treat erectile dysfunction. Oh, okay, guys. So we're we're harnessing toxins. So a lot like how we harness the very deadly botulinum toxin, uh, and then you know inject it into our face to get rid of wrinkles. This time we are harnessing another potentially lethal toxin, <laughs> using it for uh, you know. Yeah, some some uh, you know stiff competition against Viagra. <laughs> However, if you want to know the treatment for an erection that doesn't go away, uh, you might have a ultrasound to make sure there's no blood clots or yes. any ischemic area. That's right, your penis can have a stroke. No, not that kind. You yes. naughty brains person. It seems that there's plenty of blood supply when, you know, certain muscles relax and there's blood flow and, and you know, the, 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 the penis is flush with blood. But the problem is if that blood doesn't drain properly, it actually causes what's called a physical tamponade. And so eventually that blood that's in there runs out of oxygen. The tissues run out of oxygen and the tissue starts to die. No is bueno. So in some cases... Treatment is just ice packs, ice packs on the unit and the perineum to help end. In other cases, you may have to use something known as aspiration decompression, where excess blood is drained using a small needle. Yep. Yep. So (laughs) using a spider bite is probably not the ideal way, but I just liked the idea (laughs) that this is common enough that Brazil refers to it as the erection spider. The study that you, uh, you know, that we've posted in the show notes down, down below and that you sent over to me, Josh, uh, really fascinating uh, because they went ahead and injected aging and young rats uh, with the extracted toxin. And um, very interestingly, the older rats that, uh, and I didn't know that this happened, but the older rats have age-related erectile dysfunction. <laughs> <laughs> the spider venom was able to reverse it so um you know not ready for human consumption yet uh but we have cured some old rats of age-related ed <laughs> and they're like this this is the experimentation i signed up for 
<laughs> yeah, someone got a grant for that, Josh. <laughs> well, let's move on. Now, which, I think it's important. I think it's important, but you know, I, I still love that someone got a grant for that. Okay, let's move on to let's move on to our next story. Did you ever go on any blind dates before you met your wife, Santosh? I went on a couple. Yeah, not terribly successful, unfortunately. How about so no, you? So no, so no gazing across a crowded room, feeling an instant spark, your heart beating faster, or any physiological response? Uh, I had a few of those. I just, you know, the... the um, uh, the uh, the attention was not mutual. <laughs> the response was not mutual. <laughs> well, somebody else got a grant to see how often that happens at dating events. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> are, are you saying like, you know, the hearts beat as one, like sparks, like that kind of feeling? Quite literally. Uh, blind date hearts sink when there is mutual attraction. And this is sync like S-Y-N-C, not like S-I-N-K. Yes, like the Justin Timberlake kind of NSYNC. <laughs> All right, very nice. Okay, so you're you're telling me that uh, we did like some blind dating experiment with a bunch of sensors on people and uh, they, they watched couples sync up? So participants... The, so the purpose of the study was to measure the dynamics between pairs of participants in real-life dating interactions outside of the laboratory. So they had to wear mm-hmm. eye-tracking glasses. Think, like, remember Google Glass? Uh, yeah, with- yeah, the old, oh, yeah. I'm sure <laughs> this this sounds like a good situation to actually, like, gauge how much you like someone. <laughs> Nothing more attractive. So eye tracking glasses with embedded cameras and devices to measure signals like heart rate and skin conductance or, you know, whether your hair raises or you sweat. Um, Overt signals like smiles, laughter or mimicry was not significantly associated with attraction. Instead, the synchronization of heart rate and skin conductance, which is covert unconscious and difficult to regulate was measured to assess attraction. And it turns out if someone's sitting there and laughing at all your jokes, you may never hear from them again. But if you happen to have a stethoscope handy and you're both listening to each other's hearts, (laughs) you just may have found the one. It was so good. And, um, you know, we're looking at correlations right now, right? It's it's not uh, one of these things that's like, oh, my God, absolutely, if their heart synced up or if their skin conductance was the same, according to these testings, they would go out. Um, as you can imagine, with these uh, couples, I, I think they had like 140 people. Um, this was testing in heterosexual couples, so guy-girl couples. And... Unfortunately, Josh, only about 17% of them fully matched. Like they they said, you know, each person saying that I like to go out with them another time. But when you looked at those folks that said, oh, we do want to match up or, you know, we're attracted to each other. And then you ran this very cool, like computer correlation kind of a thing with significance. Um, then, yeah, the that synchrony strength of heart rate and skin conductance. Um, 
it, it kind of followed this nice linear curve of like, if they were not attracted, there was less synchrony. If they were more attracted, there was more synchrony. And on the other hand, if you took a look with the videos of how often, um, if one person would smile, then the other person would smile or, um, face gaze mimicry, which means if, one person looks longingly into your face, the other person looks longingly into your face. That actually was not correlated with, hey, I'd like to go on another date, like the mutual um, you know, attraction kind of a thing. Um, so very, very weird. You're right. I guess we can't trust our like regular signals and we're going to have to bring like some Fitbits along to blind dates from here on in. Pardon? Pardon me, do you mind if I just check your uh, responses on your Apple Watch? Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> wonderful. It appears that we have the same uh, P wave and even QRS complex. Yeah. Oh, yes, this- yeah. And, you know, new generation, uh, you know, smartwatches and stuff, probably, you know, checking the salinity or how much you're sweating uh, off your skin. And, you know, it's like, oh, look, our skin conductance is the same. <laughs> that kind of thing. This is going to be the new oh, astrology, but Santosh. With tech the way that it's going and dating the way that it's going right now, I wouldn't be surprised, though. This would be a a, a pretty cool way of finding your mate. I can love you, it. I can absolutely you, love it. Can you imagine the new kinds of stereotypes that'll form? I'm sorry, I don't date Brady Cardix. <laughs> oh my god, he had a heart rate of 62 Joni, can you imagine 62? I walked out of there so fast. Oh, my God. (laughs) And then he provoked my AFib into RVR. (laughs) Which, by the way, if that's the, the, you know, that person sitting across from you is a younger person and has like spontaneous AFib like that. You know, probably you know, not a not a great match anyway. That unless you're really into resuscitating people, which may be your thing. I don't know. <laughs> it was love at first, ACLS. <laughs> I love it. By the way, no offense to people with uh, you know congenital conduction defects, heart condition. <laughs> I just realized that I just dissed to population of our audience, Josh. I apologize. Well, that's okay, Santosh. All you have to do to earn their forgiveness is cry. Okay. <laughs> oh, can we take a quick mark real quick? And we're back. And Santosh, <laughs> are you are you still crying to to gain the forgiveness? Because oh, uh, I could. Yeah, yeah. I you know some shed some big beautiful tears to you know get some sympathy absolutely yeah 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 okay because it turns out a scientific study has been done that shows tears lower aggression Ooh. okay all right so just so a person is shedding tears and you're mad and that kind of thing and then it's like oh, oh man i can't i can't be mad anymore like after you you know you see them crying like that right Right, so rodent tears. F- stay with me. <laughs> what? Okay, okay, yeah. Rodent tears contain chemical signals with effects that include blocking male aggression. Now, human tears okay. also contain chemo signals that lower male testosterone, but the actual behavioral impact and significance has 
been unclear. Now, okay. working under the theory that reduced testosterone is associated with reduced aggression, because we do see a correlation between the two, they okay. tested the hypothesis that human tears act like rodent tears and found sniffing emotional-based tears with no odor. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> maybe maybe you need to hear how this study worked. Where did they Okay, they they got emotional tears? They applied tears to 62 human olfactory receptors in vitro that respond <laughs> in a dose-dependent manner to this stimulus. Okay. Then Oh, wow. Okay. Then they repeated the experiment using actual humans and functional okay. brain MRIs. They, they had to provoke tears from, you know, like emotional tears from people. I'm guessing women uh, or, or human females. And then applied these to like nose cells, right? The, like neuronal olfactory cells and said, hey, does this, you know, do we actually get a cross stimulation here? Um, for for some of these receptors, because you can kind of test when the the actual uh, the receptors are being stimulated well, and when they send off chemical signals. Well, here you and go, then Santosh. they said, "Here, dudes, you smell this, and how do you feel?" <laughs> well, Santosh, let's go into the methods. First, they conducted okay. yeah. the researchers conducted a long term screen for women who can cry with ease. Ultimately identifying six donors age range 22 to 25 who Ooh, gave, okay who gave written consent for science to make them cry <laughs> okay yeah they were all under contraceptives to eliminate the effects of ovulation on body odor they oh okay gotcha to obtain tears they watched sad film clips in isolation and used a mirror to place a vial, capturing the tears trickling down their cheeks. What's the saddest movie you've ever seen? Put a test tube in your face and cry to it. Oh, God. So much How to Tame a Dragon. <laughs> so, <laughs> a, typical donation, a typical donation used in this study contained 1.6 milliliters of tears. That's the amount of my enemy's tears I consume each night. <laughs> okay, just for people who are following along at home, five milliliters is about a teaspoon. So it's like a fifth of that. Okay. Before tear collection, saline was trickled down the cheek of the donor woman and collected in the same way as tears. Oh, okay. So they just didn't use like any old saline. They actually like they they kind of washed the 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 face of a woman and and then collected that one as if she had cried the saline. Sterile crying, emotionless tears. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> then, then That's the so tears, cool. uh -huh. the tears and saline were flash frozen in liquid nitrogen. And kept, Ooh. you know, frozen till use. Now, in two of the experiments, <laughs> they were thawed out for about 10 minutes to achieve temperature equilibrium and a headspace in the sniff jar. This is science <laughs> at its finest. I love this so much. Okay, so they had to be put in a chamber and then holding a, a jar of tears. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, 
participants were then exposed to the stimuli in 13 timed sniffs from a glass jar containing uh-huh. one milliliter of stimulus with an inter-sniff interval of 35 seconds. So, <laughs> I love this so much. <laughs> so I bring you into a room and I tell you, yeah. hello, sir, I want you to take this vial of tears and I want you to sniff it. <laughs> 13 times. But in between each no, sniff, no, no. I'm going to need Josh, you to wait. Josh, the, this was double blinded. So the neither the participant nor the uh the uh examiner knew if it was tears or saline. So they would just say like sniff this jar. So the first 3 sniffs were always of saline solution, which was just the control. Okay. And the okay, following okay. 10 sniffs were of the experimental compound, either tears or the trickled saline. Each sniff was rated based on its odor, pleasantness, familiarity, and then... <laughs> it, this, this experiment just keeps getting better. Then No, it's better because you have to, you have to be able to see if the, you know, the, the participant knows what they're smelling and stuff. And I think this was just all over the place, right? Like people didn't know what they were smelling. They didn't have a preference of one over the other. So like, it wasn't like their aggression was being tipped off because like, Oh, cookies. And you know, (laughs) so, you know, so so after they did the sniff test, then they pasted a pad filled with tears, actual human tears, Underneath okay. the participants' noses, and had them play a aggression video game. Like, and you may be wondering, how do we measure aggression? Well, you play yeah. this PSAP, which is an online computer game where you're playing against an opponent who you are told is a real person, and you're told you have to earn as much money as possible, and you'll get it at the end of the game. And one mm-hmm. person. One person will have the ability to steal money from the other player, but the other player won't. And guess what? It's never you who gets to be that. So it's to see how aggressive you get when you yeah. see. <laughs> you're, you're always the chump. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and the description of that game is also a lot of fun and worth reading. But the point being, we have learned to measure both aggression and tears. And then you had to fill out a questionnaire to rate your desire to meet your opponent and beat them to a bloody pulp. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you, you had the, uh, you had the PSAP. I think it was what it was called. The, the, uh, the standardized uh, test that they took. And and the questionnaire after, and then actually, Josh, they did, uh, I believe, fMRI testing as well, right? Like they actually brain scanned. At the end of the day, when we when we look at the results, there was a small difference between tears and saline. Not big enough to really appreciate one or the other, but if you think you're sniffing tears, you will probably be less aggressive on follow up questionnaires from guilt or presumably other reasons. So we we don't fully understand why this happens, uh, but the interesting thing is, especially in the the neuroimaging, the the aggression pathways, right? The 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 pathways in the brain that actually connect, um, you know, our olfactory senses to. Uh, you know, neural activity regulates behavior and aggression or, or, you know, they, they fired in a different pattern 
um, and the aggression pathways were actually suppressed um, to a fair degree. Um, and you're right, Josh, the, the, the correlation wasn't fantastic, uh, but it was significant enough. It was significant enough that if someone is charging at you and angry, pull out your vial of tears and toss it at them. You never know. Make yeah. it work. <laughs> this is one of these like superhero weird things that you can placate someone like this because th- this is kind of the neat thing about this right josh this took out the visual stimulus of watching the other person cry right so you just you were looking at the olfactory stimulus and that in and of itself seems to change the you know your your aggression um and this was you know tightly controlled and it was women's tears on uh men uh you know it was all for for dudes uh so eh, there there is a little you know hint here of something where it, it it should require a little bit more investigation but i'm fascinated it, it wasn't a very powerful yeah. study it was the tears of six women tested on 62 men Right. But I, you know, I, I still, I like it. I like the, the premise is there and it bears further investigation. And I, I, I'm fascinated to find out if you could harness like super concentrate, like the olfactory signal that really turns down the aggression and then just like use that to like chill people out. That you feels like release it in a in like at one a.m. in a bar full of rowdy dudes. <laughs> that feels like a Motown song. Tears of six women used for science on sixty-two men. Woo. Sixty-two men. <laughs> you lowered my aggression with tears or sterile saline i just can't <laughs> tell darling because your z scores in the mean no. <laughs> um, oh the nerdiest love song ever so- i absolutely love it <laughs> Uh, let's move on to our next story and we can even close out. Of course, this is a Valentine's themed episode and journal club. So how could we not talk about falling in love and its effects on your immune system? Oh yeah, absolutely. And this, this one made me so, so happy because, you know, I study infectious diseases, um, the uh, lab of which I am a part also studies the inflammatory system and immunology. So I love that love can regulate the immune system. So to characterize the impact of romantic love on the human genome, this group of researchers conducted a genome-wide transcriptome profiling 115 cell samples collected from 47 young women over the course of two years. So again, this appears to be primarily aimed at heterosexual love. Um, Mm -hmm. And it found that those who had a surge of hormones that you often see in love upregulated their type 1 interferon responses, which are used in fighting viruses. So it's also used to a lesser yeah. extent to facilitate sexual reproduction. But if you see somebody that you want to get nasty with, your body gears up for you to get, you know, 
fight off the nasties. This is one of the inflammatory cytokines that you release, you know, very, very early on, you know, your uh, type one interferons. Um, you don't have to necessarily like recognize the virus, uh, you know, the way that your, uh, you know, your learned immune system does your cellular immune system and humoral immune system. This is part of your initial innate response. Just bam, I found something virus like bam, I'm going to secrete this type one interferon. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they actually found these in uh, specific dendritic cells. Um, and which are, you know, some of our, you know, first line innate immune cells, Josh, that, that recognize pathogens. And there was also a down regulation of alpha defensin associated with our neutrophils. So this is so cool. And, and this effect of like just saying that this was kind of questionnaire led, right? By the, the participants that, oh, I, I, I think I'm falling in love or I've fallen in love or I haven't fallen in love. And um, it, the, the effect of the falling in love part actually emerged above uh, effects of changes in illness or social isolation or even sexual contact. So it really was, you know, the, the response of a person saying, oh, I've fallen in love, that they increased their transcription of, and because, you know, inter- type 1 interferons. <laughs> and because this was a two-year-long study, they took these 47 women and they were able to create this transcript over three different stages of their relationships, which would vary within individuals over time. Ones who were not in love, but in a new romantic relationship. Now, that's going to set off a whole bunch of different things, like it's going to be a rise in cortisol, um, increased activity in various areas of the brain, higher circulating levels of oxytocin, lower levels of sex hormones. It also would Mm -hmm. analyze people who were newly in love, as professed on surveys, and out of love, and would track analysis to involve unbiased characterization of the genes, which can't be uncertain how they feel, matched up with the survey responses of the people. So they were asked... It was really wonderful. So when they were enrolled in the study, all participants had recently been in a relationship less than one month that was exclusive, but reported not yet being in love with their partners. Uh, you also couldn't be a smoker in this study because, ew, smokers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they they had to they had to take out a rather significant confounder. Uh, is if you're a smoker, you mess with these immune functions very, very badly. It's. I know we talk about cancer and lung disease and all that all the time, but under the hood, Josh. Uh, the way that you mess up your immune system and your inflammatory cascades is kind of chaos. So, no smokers allowed. You uh, also, but yeah, you were allowed to. You also yeah. had to promise to remain in the city for at least six months. No fleeing on a romantic getaway. <laughs> That's true. So you know, you, th- there was a little bit of like control in here that, like, okay, we we've got to take away some of these effects of uh, you know going around the world to Paris or something like that. Um, But interestingly, Josh, they did um, work on 
a, a couple of other previously uh, noted confounders, such as the feeling of social isolation, right? So this was done in February of 2019. This was before COVID, okay? But we know that there's still, you know, there was before then even a loneliness epidemic that was starting to permeate. Our wonderful uh, United States uh, Surgeon General is is focusing on treatment for, you know, social isolation and loneliness. And so they wanted to kind of weed out that as well. And very interestingly, you know, like, like I said at the start, uh, even with the feelings of kind of like social isolation and looking at the correlation with uh, the upregulation of, you know, type 1 interferons, et cetera, and CTRA gene expression, um, it, it was more correlated that you would, you know, upregulate your type 1 interferons, et cetera, uh, if you were in love versus if you didn't feel the social isolation. Super interesting. Along with the initial eligibility criteria, participants would, after completing the survey, provide a blood sample, and then they would get twice monthly surveys that basically amounted to, so, uh, you in love yet? (laughs) (laughs) And if you don't believe me, the actual question, when did you first feel you fell in love with your partner? With the response options, this has not happened within the last two days, within the last week, within the last two weeks. These surveys would be conducted until such time as the couple had reported having fallen in love. They reported the relationship had broken up. They were selected as a yoked control for another participant who had fallen in love, fourth wheeling as it were, (laughs) or 12 months had elapsed. (laughs) Listen, if you've been dating for a year and it still hasn't happened... It's not going to for science. Yeah, I think that's a fair bet. <laughs> Those who completed the full series of surveys were paid $196. Woo! Yeah, yeah. And by the way, we always, always run these types of uh, you know studies, human studies, especially looking at um, you know, very sensitive topics like love. Uh, and, and we're also asking about uh, sexual intercourse and behavior, you know, when, when people are running this kind of a thing. So, you know, w- when you offer a reward for this stuff, you do have to make sure that that, that reward doesn't mess with your uh, results, so to speak. So these are always run through ethics boards. So that, not, like, why $196? Believe it or not, Josh, that's probably what was estimated to be the maximum that you could give to reward someone for thank you for participating, but not mess with their, uh, like, you know, responses and results and stuff. Once you go to $201. <laughs> I don't know. You start getting you start getting the romantic comedy setup where two crazy young hot celebrities team up to scam the science department by faking being in love, only oh. to find out following a genetic test that they really are following falling in love, thereby in love, completely yeah. <laughs> invalidating the results of the study. Yes. And breaking up and breaking up the scientist couple who worked forever to get a grant. 
to get this established. <laughs> and then someone says something like, uh, Sally, don't you know, the interferon was in their hearts all along. <laughs> You don't understand. Oh They're gosh. more protected from viruses. These are the perfect scouts for new disease frontiers. Young couples yeah. in fresh love. There you go. <laughs> no, absolutely. But this does tell us something that we're learning about more and more, that intense connections, human-to-human connections – are really important, not just for the types of health that we think of, like mental health and all this kind of a thing, but it does actually affect us on a biochemical level. Um, you know, love and connections keep us healthy. Um, now, on the flip side, Josh, it was really interesting. We did check on people who were falling out of love as well. And um, 34 paired follow-up samples from 17 participants that said they were falling out of love uh, did show reduced expression of type 1 interferon response genes. Uh, it, it wasn't as significant, actually, as the climb um, as people were falling in love, as these women were falling in love. Uh, but that's kind of an interesting uh, extra piece of evidence to show that the opposite is also true that you know when when your connection to another human being breaks down that oh virus is going to get you so while i would still encourage you to get your flu shot and all other vaccines if you're going to ignore mm -hmm. everything else we say then i guess <laughs> you can at least go out and fall in love yeah absolutely I'll put it in there as a corollary, even though this wonderful, uh, you know, study didn't look at these other kinds of relationships. Keep in touch with your friends, check in, go meet up with people, uh, you know, with proper social distancing if you need to or that kind of thing. Uh, you know, don't don't be you know, uh, don't be, you know, sick with the flu and then be like, oh, but I have to connect with. <laughs> Well, yeah, keep keep your human connections going because they keep you healthy and it's important. So uh, that's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support mm -hmm. us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading. And really, these are things that you should read as a couple. They are just some delightful studies full of important but occasionally ludicrous sounding science <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i mean the the fact that we ran the gamut all the way from erection spider all the way to love immunology i mean come on there's something for everyone here quite literally the love doctors so <laughs> <laughs> this show yeah, is produced by the show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. Until next time, keep a song in your heart, soap on your hands, a shot in your arm, a spin in your glove. And when you've done all of those things, pick somewhere to go with someone special. And uh, happy travels. Love you guys. <laughs>